Welcome to the Been There, Got Out podcast. I'm Lisa, a state-certified domestic violence advocate and veteran of more than eight years in the trenches of the legal system, the last five successfully representing myself. And I'm Chris. I'm a certified high-conflict divorce coach. And between the two of us, we have all this knowledge and experience that we never wanted. But now we can put it to great use, providing expert guidance to people in high-conflict divorce and custody situations so you have the best chance in court and beyond. Having the right support from people who get it is so critical to getting you and your children through it as unscathed as possible. And that's exactly what we do through our interviews with experts and other content right here on this podcast. So let's get to it. And tonight's guest is Dr. Jill Leibowitz. Uh, she is a New York City psychologist. She's a therapist. She does play therapy with adults and children, and she has her own private practice. Let me see if she's here yet. Um, we actually met through our publisher. There she is. Okay. Fingers crossed. Um, but anyway, we met through our publisher. Uh, we both, I think, oh, I can see you and you can see me. <laughs> okay. Well, it's great to see you. Too. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thanks for coming. So I was just saying that we met through our lovely publisher, Patrice, who is excellent at connecting people. And she's like psychologist, high conflict divorce coach, kids. You, you guys need to talk. So we met um, at our book launch, and we're going to try to go to your next book launch because you're a multiple author, among other things. So, um, and we're both in New York. Well, I'm right over the border, but I still am a New Yorker. So, Dr. Jill, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background. I am a clinical psychologist, and I have been working with children, adolescents, and adults um, for the past 20 plus years. Um, I do play therapy with children. I don't actually do play therapy with adults, um, oh, but I <laughs> but I do uh, therapy with adults and adolescents. I also have some uh, training in doing work with infants and babies and their parents, doing some um, like what we call it dyadic work, um, helping to facilitate secure bonds and attachments. Um, and I certainly work with many, many families who are, the parents are divorced or who are going through divorce. Uh, and so um, have have seen a lot of the difficulties that come up in these situations. Right. And you know that the people that are listening to you and watching you are dealing with the most extreme cases. They're called high conflict divorce and post-separation abuse. And so their kids are stuck in this along with them. And of course, there's a tremendous impact on that. And I think I told you before, and our community knows this, that one of the biggest pain points for us isn't just the legal system, it's how are the children going to be okay? Not just through this legal process, but afterward because of the impact and the trauma that everyone has to deal with. So I'm so glad that um, we are going to talk about what it's like for a kid and how to keep it about your kid because we are ourselves as parents are so we're dealing with so much that often we get triggered by things that happen with our kid and we mix in what's happening to us 
on our kids. And so I'm glad that you're here to help us um, start to separate that. So I thought one of the first things that I'd love you to talk about is a line that you said during one of our conversations about how parents should know that you're not really there to help them with their own needs. That seems to be one of the misconceptions that people have. Can you talk about that? Like what parents think that you're there for and what you're actually supposed to be doing? So in terms of when I'm working with their child right. and parents' needs versus the child's needs. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's so challenging because when there is a high conflict divorce, um, there are a lot of really intense feelings that parents are having. Um, and there have been times when I'm working with a child, but I'm I'm also working with the parents to help them with their child. And um, the parents want me to do things with their children that are really about helping the parent with what they need. Um, And that's not what I'm there for. I'm there to help their child and to advocate for their child. And sometimes, actually, the parents' needs contradict the child's needs. And so I I think you're referencing something I had said where I, I have said to parents, um, like, I understand that you need this right now, but that's about your need. And that's not what your child needs. And I'm here to advocate for your child. And so I'm here to tell you what your child needs. Um, and you're going to have to find another way to get your own needs met separate from what's happening here with your child. Um, I think that yeah. Are there common things that come up a lot when you see parents dealing with really difficult situations, like examples that happen that I'm sure people might be able to relate to? Um, one thing that immediately comes to my mind might be um, a parent says, you know, my child is going to spend the weekend with their, you know, say it's the mom with their father and their father is narcissistic and abusive and says things that will beat my child down. And um, so I don't think that they should go be there. Um, And the child is not understanding things from that kind of a perspective and is wants to go have their weekend with dad. Um, And so it's not about, I'll say, you know, maybe some of that stuff is going to happen. I I don't know. But your child needs to have a relationship with both their parents. These are their parents. And when they get older, they'll be able to decide what that relationship means. And they'll form their own impressions of each of you. But for now, they need to be able to know that that parent is available to them and have that parent there. And if they come back and they say something that was said to them that was upsetting, then you can address that then. But I think sometimes the parent is, and I, well, I've had parents say to me, I'm just so afraid that what happened to me, the way he treated me is how he's going to treat my child. And I don't want my child to feel the way I have felt. And I respect that. And I get that. But the child 
the alternative is cutting off all communication and that's not good for the child either. So that's the first, that, that's the quick example that comes to my mind. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's, that's a thing that we get all the time where our clients are concerned because all of our people are dealing with some form of domestic abuse. And so they think, well, I'm an adult, I could get away, but my kid can't get away. And one of the biggest issues we see are um, parents and both, both genders saying, my kid's coming back from the other parent's house and they're completely dysregulated. Mm. And is there anything I can do to help them when they're in that other person's house? Like, I can't be there. But do you ever help kids figure out how to establish boundaries or are you just very neutral? Like, I don't know what's, what's happening. Well, I guess I want to go back. So sort of help me remember that question. But before that, I think the piece about um, my kid comes back and is really dysregulated. Um, I think that there is a tendency for parents to feel like if their child comes back from the other parent's home and is upset or dysregulated, that it is because they are upset about what was happening while they were there at that, at that other parent's home. Um, and that might be the case sometimes, but there are other reasons why kids will also be upset and dysregu- dysregulated. Um, simply the transition can be really hard for kids. And so going from one parent to the other can be dysregulating in and of itself and upsetting. Um, also, the kid might have been fine while they were at the other parent's house, but they were also away from you. And so sometimes it's when there's a reunion, when a child comes back to be with a parent, that then they get hit with also the feelings about having been away from that parent. And so sometimes it's, it's an expression of all of the mixed up feelings, the sadness, the anger that they weren't with you, <laughs> um, that that's part of what gets stirred up in them. And another thing that can happen is that there can be tension between the two parents. And so the transition sometimes creates, even if it's very brief, a period of time where everyone is coming together and the child might feel themselves in the dynamic of being caught between the parents. And so that can also contribute to dysregulation. So I wanted to just point that out before responding to now what I can't fully remember was the question. I I remember it, but I want to continue what you're talking about because transitions are a big deal. And you said that, that kids can have a really hard time. Are there any things that you can think of to help parents ease the transition for the kids going back and forth in any kind of separation, divorce, co-parenting? I think I, I want to share something that a few kids have actually been able to articulate to me, which is um, they've, they've pointed out that they are always missing a parent. So whenever they are with one parent, it means they are separated from the other parent. And so um, they are sort of perpetually in an experience of loss. And even though they're happy to be with the parent they're with, and and kids have been able to say this to me, um, they're happy being with the parent they're with and they're missing the other parent. So I think the starting point is for parents to simply recognize that. And no matter how much 
you can't stand your ex. Again, this is their parent. And so um, I, I think a starting point is for parents to know and recognize that their kids are missing them when they're not together. Um, so one thing in helping with the transitions, I think, is being able to acknowledge, like, I know this is hard. Mm. Um, I know I know you're going to miss me when we're not together. I miss you, too. And I know you're going to have a good time with mommy or daddy when you're with them. Um, and so I think that's one thing. Um, I, I think having something you know, like kind of a transitional object, you know, it could be a bracelet, something that is sort of a tie-in or a connection to the parent they're not with. Um, So it could be like, you know, mom and child each have matching bracelets Mm -hmm. and they're wearing them and the child kind of knows that. And then also child and dad could have matching bracelets that are separate, different. It could mean having sometimes a photo of the parent that they're not with, um, sometimes for kids, and it depends on their ages, but it, it could be um, a t-shirt that belongs to the other parent or something of the other parents that they can have with them. Um, sometimes it means having some contact with the parent they're not with when they're not with that parent. Sometimes that can actually be dysregulating for kids. So I, I don't want to say that as a blanket option. I think you have to see how your child can tolerate that. Yeah, those great ideas. I, I've been reading a bit about things that parents can do when, when they don't have contact and the parent or the child is with the other parent where they can still, the child can still look at something and remember that the other parent loves them. And I'm thinking of like younger children. Yeah. And I read even about the moon and stars yeah. that if you say to your child, see the moon, like the moon is going to be shining on me and you. Like every time we look at the moon or look at the stars, yes. Um, just remember that, that I'm thinking about you and I love you. Exactly. And that's what, like, say a bracelet, as an example, it served that same kind of function. Like when you look at or touch your bracelet, you know that I have mine and I'm looking at mine and thinking of you. So it's exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the thing with the photograph too, someone was just, uh, I can't remember who was saying the other day about how people on their phone have wallpaper. And often it's a picture of their children. And why do we do that? Because when we look at pictures, we have those warm feelings, like those love feelings, hopefully. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So the other question I had said was, let's say there is like emotional abuse at the other person's house and the kid is constantly coming back and saying how terrible it is and they don't want to go. But there's a parenting plan and there's an agreement and they are supposed to keep going. Do you ever deal with that where you help kids learn to advocate for themselves or stand up for themselves? Because, again, I, we tell our clients all the time, you, you can't swoop in. You can't interfere with that relationship unless you can get an order that says that this is not allowed. You, you really have to be careful. So um, how can you help kids as a therapist to start advocating for themselves in general? Yeah. I mean, if for kids who... So that's a complicated question in a way, or it creates a complication in my own mind because I'm thinking there are some kids who I think there's a lot of confusion for them and um, a lot of ambivalence, and maybe they're feeling pulled by each parent. And they feel that those are kids who are really caught in the middle. And so sometimes kids will tell both parents 
that they don't want to be with the other parent. It's partly because it's what they feel that parent needs from them. And so um, some, what I find is oftentimes those kids don't come and tell me that. Um, if, if a parent has said to me something that their child has said and asked me to bring it up with their child and let them know their child that I heard this from the parent, the kids will often kind of deny it or they won't engage in it. Or one week they'll say they don't want to be with one parent and the next week they'll come in and say they don't want to be with the other parent. In those cases, I'm, I'm trying more to help them feel like they can start knowing what they're feeling, that they can express the positives and the negatives of being with each parent and more so that they can talk about feeling stuck in the middle and, and the confusion. And often that does lead to conversations about just how confused they feel. So we'll put that on hold. Um, There are times, though, when kids are speaking much more clearly about how they feel about being with one parent or the other. And in those cases, um, I really try to help them figure out how they can talk to their parents about it. Um, If there's a parent that they're having a harder time with who they aren't wanting to spend time with, I try to help them figure out ways to talk to that parent about it. Because if they go to the other parent and want the other parent to advocate for them, it's only going to complicate the toxic situation more. And so that parent, their hands are kind of tied. They really can't, they can't (laughs) because of the situation. Um, and then I will work more with the child trying to find ways to, you know, say, hey, I feel like when I'm with you, you're not really hanging out with me. You're working all the time. I, I want to, you know, I, I feel more comfortable at the other house or all my friends live near the other house, you know, and it, it's really hard because the kids, they really don't want to hurt either of their parents. And sometimes they're afraid. They're afraid that it's going to make it worse for them if they say this. Um, So I will also try to meet with the parents and talk about some of this um, with them. But it's, it's really complicated. There's a quick, easy fix for it. Yeah, I just saw a comment um, it was basically about how narcissistic parents don't listen. Sorry, it's a sad fact. What do you do when you're trying to talk to the parent and one parent is just not interested in empathizing or is incapable of empathizing? How, how do you handle that? Sometimes I just kind of bring that back to the kid and I say, yeah, I see what you mean. So so it's about, and this is where it's about validating, helping it's about helping the kids, yeah, validating what the kids are feeling and what they're experiencing versus I think what can sometimes happen, which is like saying, you know, if, if a parent's saying, no, I love you, you know, like yeah. um, I'm blanking on the how I want to express this, um, giving validating the reality. Mm-hmm of what's mm-hmm. happening 
And so sometimes it, it, you know, I have said to kids like, yeah, you know, I met with your mom or dad and they're tough, aren't they? You know, I can see how, you know, they really were having a hard time um, understanding your perspective on this. And so I can see why it's so hard for you to talk to them about it. That's helping the child form how they're going to approach that relationship, not just now, but also in the future. At some point, maybe they won't need that parent as much and they'll be able to let that part take up more space. Yeah. So we talked about a story um, that you have with a kid that... Don't say the game. (laughs) I won't. (laughs) A strategy game. But you were saying that as a therapist, sometimes certain people are difficult to work with. So I'll let you tell the story. I won't say the game. So I was working with a child whose parents were in a really, really toxic situation, really bitter divorce. And I myself was having a hard time as the therapist and really understanding what was going on. I mean, the mom would tell me one thing, the dad would tell me one thing, the kid would tell me a third thing. And so I really always felt like I don't know what's going on here. And I found it very frustrating and challenging to work with. And I was getting a lot of pressure from both parents um, to, I guess, help them each with their agenda. Um, And so this child and I were playing a game and I'm just, I I don't mean to be being secretive, but for privacy purposes, I just don't want to give too much detail. But we were playing a game um, that required each of us to give the other one accurate feedback but we couldn't see what the other person's board showed. But in order to play the game, you have to have accurate feedback from the other player. And this child kept um, altering their board so that um, it didn't matter what feedback they were giving me because their board kept changing. And so it inevitably, there was no accuracy. And it was like, it wasn't like we were really playing the game. And I had been feeling kind of frustrated with this child for a few weeks. And we were in this game. And although many kids, when we play games and and play therapy, will cheat and modify rules. And I often permit it because we work with it and we, you know, it's useful. It felt different in this case. And I actually ended up saying to the child, you know what, this isn't fun. I'm not having any fun playing this game with you. You keep changing what you're doing. I don't know what's going on. I can't, like, I just feel like I can't figure it out. And it's not even like we're playing a game. And they said, well, welcome to my world. Now you know how I feel. And it was really a breakthrough in the therapy because what then came out was how stuck this child felt between their two parents and how much um, they always felt like they didn't know what was going on and they didn't know how to maneuver themselves themselves within the dynamics and the relationships because they never knew what was real and what wasn't real. And it, it was wonderful, actually. And um, the, the irritation I was feeling like just went away once it was all really out there on the table between us. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, I can imagine what a relief it must have been to finally get through and also for the kid to feel finally understood. Yeah. And then I was able to share, you know what? I feel this way with your parents too. 
So it, now we were stuck in it together, the kid and I, instead of, instead of them becoming like a third source of information, we sat in the confusion together. And there was a bit just simply acknowledging, like, I don't think we're going to know what's going on right now. I, I think, I think it's hard, you know, and I know, and it's hard to trust either of them right now. And, and then I was able to also bring that back to the parents and say, look, this is what's going on. And this is how your child is feeling um, to try to help build up a sense of trust. You know, I also noticed that people always want answers, like, let's fix it. Like, what can we do to fix it? And by what you're explaining, it shows that sometimes you can't, I mean, as a therapist, you can't change that dynamic between the parents. The kid can't change it. One parent can't do anything, but just to say, this is what we're dealing with is, is that there is that relief. Like there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do other than acknowledge it and try to move forward and do whatever we can, but you can't save another person. Right. And I can't as the therapist and the parents can't as parents. And I have, and that kind of goes with when a child like isn't wanting to go spend time with the other parent, but that's the legal custody situation and they have to. And I've worked with families where this has been the case where, you know, it, the parent ends up saying, I'm so, I'm so sorry that this is the situation. And I'm so sorry that you have to go be somewhere you don't want to be. And I don't like it either. And this is, but this is what the judge has ordered and we can't change it. And then it's, I think really just about, and I know, I know this sucks. This is an awful situation. And sometimes that's as, that's as much as you can do, but that is huge. That help, that really helps a child feel less alone in it, just to let them talk about it, to validate what they're feeling, not to undermine or deny what they're feeling or not to try to make the feelings magically go away. Um, it's, it's just, I think, sitting with it with them sometimes and sitting in the helplessness, which is really hard to do. Now, I don't know if you can answer this question, but what you said is making me think of it. Sometimes people, People feel like because they're so concerned about not wanting to badmouth the mm -hmm. other parent, especially when they're in the middle of a court case, mm -hmm. when the child comes and says they're unhappy with the other person, the, the initial person will say, oh, that person loves you. You know, that parent loves you. Should parents be doing that? Like just kind of saying, ah, they love you. You know, they love you. They're trying. Huh. Um, it is. I think that can be part of what is said. There can be um, giving benefit of the doubt or just simply helping a child feel loved and cared for right there. Um, you know, I know mom or dad loves you and they're doing the best they can. Um, but I don't think that's the only part. Again, I cannot emphasize how important it is to validate what our kids tell in any situation to validate what their experiences are. You know, it could be like a kid has a fight with their friend and they're acting like the world is ending and you know that tomorrow they're going to be friends again. And you're like, you know, come on. But to them, it's really huge. And so I think there it's, you still, you don't, you shouldn't engage in 
bashing the other parent, but you can nonetheless validate what the child is telling you they feel, you know, that, that it must be hard to have to be there when you don't want to be there. Or, you know, they're, they're so mean and strict to me, or they're so boring. They ignore me when I'm there. You know, oh, well that, yeah, I can see why you don't want to be there. Then that would, you know, who wants to be ignored? Um, I think there could be a little in a situation like that of like, you know, could you, could you, um, you could try to help your kid maybe think of a way. I, I have actually worked with families where one parent would say, you know, well, can you come up with things, activities to suggest to the other parent that you could do or tell them that you're bored? And sometimes that can be helpful. But I think the biggest piece is validating their feelings, but then also letting them know, you know, even if it's not the way you want it to be, your that other parent loves you and they're doing the best they can. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, I'd be like, they're doing the best they can. I'm not going to say how they feel. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You can do that. You know, I'm sure they're doing the best they can. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's tricky. Okay. Um, So speaking of these crazy situations where kids are stuck in the middle, we talked about legal abuse and, you know, that's, that's unfortunately, unfortunately our specialty where the kids are stuck in this long process for a while, which can be debilitating to a parent. And you said that sometimes, and this is what I agree, sometimes the same parent can seem crazy. So when you initially meet parents, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know our clients are usually the ones who don't appear sane because they're so emotional. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I have, I've now had a lot of experience working with these really difficult cases. And so um, I have, what I've come to notice is that many times, I'm not going to say always, many times the parent who is initially presenting as really undone, um, who's having explosive, sometimes explosive episodes in my office, um, who's getting really angry and really agitated. And so looks like the an unstable parent. Um, often they are sort of what I'm going to say, like sane people in really insane situations. And they are so, I've come to see that they're so frustrated and they're often feeling so hopeless and helpless and powerless that, which is when those kinds of rageful feelings come up. Um, And I I did share, I don't know if you want me to share the story. I know I shared a story with you about my own. Sure. (laughs) It's always good to know like somebody can empathize because you've been like, we, we talk about legal abuse. There's a sense of rage, injustice, and despair. Yes. And so mine, although not related to a a divorce situation, um, I was in an apartment that was being perpetually flooded by the neighbor above us. And they wouldn't let the super into their apartment to come assess what was going on because I think they were doing something illegal in there. Um, And they would just say, no, our pipes are fine. And the super couldn't force his way in. And I had been told that if water was coming out of our ceiling um, or through light fixtures that I could call the fire department and they would have to go in. So sure enough, um, 
one night when there was water coming through my kitchen lights, um, I called the fire department and they came. But when they went to the people's door, they the people responded. And so when once they responded and said, no, you know, there's nothing going on in our apartment. It's fine. We looked. The fire department couldn't force their way in. They said to me, had no one been home, we could have forced our way in. But because they answered the door, we can't. And I went into a total crazy rage and I was screaming in the hallway of my apartment building, like, like in a voice that I don't even recognize, (laughs) you know, like, why is their right to privacy more important than my right to a safe home? I had my two children and, you know, in bed Um, and and that's the psychologist. (laughs) (laughs) And I I mean, I, I know I looked absolutely crazy. And I kind of knew it in the moment, but it was like just this rage. It was, we were having mold issues. It was horrible. So I've always sort of used that to um, have a real like empathic understanding of what is going on when people feel that sense of injustice and hopelessness. And um, so anyway, so so I'd like to think that many of us who are in this field and do this work have some savviness in terms of understanding what we're, what's going on and what we're seeing and knowing that oftentimes it's when parents are most afraid um, that that kind of behavior emerges in our, or appears in our office. Um, and so in those situations, now I have started to really also validate the parents' experience and what they're going through and recognize their helplessness. Um, And I have found that that often too helps as soon as they understand that I understand what they're going through, all of that can go away. And then we can really start to collaborate and work together on how to help their child. Yeah, that's great. Because I know one of the fears that many of our clients have is that the professional's aren't going to recognize yeah. who who is the one who's really taking advantage of the situation. And we often say, you know, you have to remember that you're really, really emotional because you care. You're worried about your safety, your children's safety. And often you're dealing with somebody because we are dealing with a lot of domestic violence who doesn't, who's like a pathological liar without a conscience. And they're very good at manipulating people. So our people are like, oh, they're never going to, they're never going to see. And they're just going to think I'm crazy. And we're like, we're going to, Try to calm you down, but I'm glad you're saying that that therapists do recognize, or at least you do recognize, that these are really extraordinary situations. And sometimes, a lot of times, people can't stay calm and they can't just be themselves. Right. Then, so then I want to go. I know I saw um, your post today um, on your story about the important the importance of keeping it together for your kids. Mm-hmm. So. This, this is an example of when we were talking about the parents' needs versus the child's needs, right? So at the same time, as I understand all of that is going on, right, I will still also say to that parent, okay, like you cannot do this in front of your child. Your child cannot see you this way. Um, you have got to get this under control because your child then won't even feel safe with you. And so that's an example where maybe a parent is so rageful and they just want to scream about their ex to everybody. And 
I'll be saying to them, I know you need to do that. I know you need to get that out and you need everybody to know what a horrible person they are, but your child needs you to not do that, at least not in front of them. And so Mm -hmm. you can't say those things to your child or in front of your child or so much so that now your kid's friends are hearing this stuff. Like on social media, you can't do it on social media. Absolutely. (laughs) Do that. Right. 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 So that goes back to our, the first part of our conversation of an example um, of, you know, when one example of a parent's needs versus the child's needs. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about that, that post? Because that, that quote kind of came from something that my son said on a podcast years ago. Um, It was like, you know, the child of a situation like this. and, And the big, the most popular question was, what did your mom do for you to help you get through this really tough time? And he said, she kept it together. I didn't know that that's how he felt. I just heard him say it. I was like, Oh, <laughs> I don't know how I did that, but I guess, I guess I yeah. faked it. It's <laughs> have to at least provide the illusion that you're keeping it together, which means as a parent, you really have to find support for yourself, which Certainly could be a therapist or a group therapy situation. It can also be friends and family. Um, It can be having someone like you to help support them so that you have somewhere where you can express all of that, but where you can still protect your child from that. And I think also I was thinking, you know, um, when I saw your post with that statement that it's, it's like so many things you, of course, you can be human. Your child can see you get a little upset sometimes. Your child can see you get overwhelmed. They can see you be sad. They can see you cry. But I'm going to say in reasonable amounts, In, in, in a human way, of course, it's important for your child to see that you have emotions because we all have big feelings and upset, you know, we all get upset and overwhelmed, but they shouldn't see you losing control. They shouldn't see you crying all day for days. Mm -hmm. They should see you raging frequently, right? They can see you get frustrated or a little bit angry, but you don't want to scare them. They can see you get sad, but you don't want them to see you in such despair that they feel like they don't have access to you. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I also think about, you don't want it to be where your child feels emotionally responsible for you or responsible for your emotions. And which that can be hard. Yes. They, they really do. They take that on because they learn that if the more your needs are met, the better you're going to be able to take care of them. And so they, if they see a sad parent, they try to pull that parent out of the sadness. They will say the things that, and that's where they will sometimes then say the things to you that they think you want to hear. Interesting. They might yeah. Say it just for you. And that's when sometimes kids are saying bad things about both parents to the other parent, because it's what they think each of those parents wants them to do. Yeah, I I did an interview recently with this guy named Anthony Johnson, who's a co-parenting coach, and he talked about how important it is in the time that your child is not with you 
for you to kind of reinvigorate and and take care of yourself so that when you're you know you can't control what happens at the other person's house but you want it to be when that child comes back to you that you feel good you need to be the soft place to land you don't want them to come he's like if they're coming if they're living in dysregulation you can't be dysregulated too because then they have nowhere to go so it is so important to really take care of yourself so you can be like everything's fine i'm glad you're back and i'm well, good and i would add to that it helps them to know you're okay when they leave because sometimes a reason why a child doesn't want to go to one parent's house is that they're simply just really worried about the parent they're leaving that the parent won't be okay mm -hmm. and so it's important for the kid to know, you know, yeah, I have, I'm going to go see my friends on Saturday night. And so, you know, I've got stuff to do. That's really important for them. It lets them know that you have a life outside of them and that they can then be free to go be with the other parent. Right. And be a child. And be a child and not be worrying and not feeling like they need to create a situation that suggests that they have to be, you know, that's where a child might suddenly be expressing, I need to be with that other parent when really it's because they're perceiving that parent needs them, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I, I had written something down. Um, I can't remember what we said about it, but it was where somebody, there was a line about someone saying, I want no more communication with my ex ever. Do you remember us talking about that? Like how that's, that's like a damaging thing to say, or you that maybe like the parent doesn't want it, but of course the kid, that's not a good thing for your kid to, to hear you say. Yeah. I can't remember what we were talking about, but what comes to my mind as you say it is just that, you know, this will come up sometimes when I'm working with parents and they'll say like, right, I, I just, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk to the other parent <laughs> and maybe their kid is, you know, in elementary school. And I'm like, like you, you can't do that, right? Like you, you have to at least have some way that you can coordinate because the alternative is then the child actually becomes the communicator parents. And that is, that's the last thing you want to, the last position you want your child to be put in. So the, for that, and this is another example of the parents' needs versus the child's needs, right? So you may feel the need to have no communication with your ex, but your child needs you to at least in a co-parenting way, have some kind of communication with their other parent. And so you have to find a way to be able to do that. And maybe it means you only send messages on, I, I don't know what it's called, but I guess there's an Our app family. where- wizard, yeah. So maybe that's the what you do, that's the way you do it, but but your child should should not, ever be the, the one who has to relay all the messages back and forth between the parents. That's the what about if the child is like an older teenager and it's like, oh, just check with mom or dad if, if that's okay. Is that the same thing? Like it should always be parent to parent or I mean, it depends on this. It, I guess it depends on the situation. Sometimes I think that that's fine for an older kid and it's probably fine when it's like a sort of simple, low intensity yeah. question, right? Can I, you know, I want to have a sleepover with my friend or I, I don't know, I, I can't think yeah. of what it might be. Um, I, 
I think it depends. I, I think it depends on how toxic things are between the parents. I think it depends on the kid's relationship with each parent. So if there's a really difficult relationship that the kid's having with one of the parents, and then the kid is the one being the go-between, that's probably pretty complicated and probably they need for the parents to be having the conversations, not them. Mm -hmm. But if it's a low intensity, low stakes thing, and it's an older kid and they're fine with it, I'm sorry, I don't have like a clear cut answer for that one. Okay. You don't need, again, like these, these are human relationships. It's not like everybody does it this way and this is the right way and this is the wrong way. Um, Okay. So another thing that I want to make sure that we talk about is you had a situation where a judge wrote something into an order and we talked about how that would be so helpful. So imagine that there are lawyers and judges paying attention to this. Can you say what happened and why it was so helpful. Yeah. So because I've now had so many of these really challenging cases and I've sort of seen the pitfalls and the difficulties that happen, one thing that's become really clear to me, and I had shared this with you, is that I cannot really know what's going on. Like I, because I'm hearing different things from different people, because kids might be telling me what's actually going on, or they might be telling me what they think a parent wants them to tell me. Um, Or they might be figuring out kind of ways to game the system and telling me things. I really don't know. Um, And so I have started letting parents know when they contact me before we start the work that, you know, I just want to be clear that I will be here to help your child through this process to help your child, you know, understand what they're feeling and help them navigate the situation. And I can help you parent your child through this, but I cannot be here to say definitively, this is what a parent is doing or not doing. And I cannot take sides for either of you. So my goal isn't to figure out what's actually going on. My goal is just to help your child with their experience within what's going on. And I had shared this recently with two parents. And um, I guess one of them, when they went to court, sort of brought this up in court. And the judge ended up then actually that basically the child would be in therapy with me and that um, the purpose of the treatment was for the child's play therapy and their well-being, and that neither parent could um, meet with me alone unless I requested it. Mm-hmm. And that parent, I mean, and I guess this part's a little bit vague, neither parent could intrude in on the child's treatment, um, but that if I wanted to meet with the parents, that um, they they would have to comply with that. And it made the whole thing just freed me up to be able to just engage in work with get child. And um and every communication, both parents are on it. So I'm not I'm not getting bombarded with a bunch of information from one parent or the other, feeling either of them tugging at me to take their side. Mm -hmm. What happens and what 
feel really complicated when you're trying to push that out and just be present with the child. At the same time, you know, it certainly just lets me know what the child is going through. Um, I will say, for instance, in a case where this is going on currently, um, you know, I can still feel some of what's going on, even as the parents are working really hard to stick by all of the boundaries that were established by the judge. But it was it was remarkable. I'd never had a judge do that before. And I think it would be great if they could do that more often, because the if if the parents try to bring the therapist into the court process, it can really undermine the therapeutic work and the therapeutic relationship for the therapist and the child. Um, And so it also preserves that sort of therapeutic relationship for the child. Yeah. And I think think it's interesting that you noted that it's not your, your goal is not to figure out what the truth is. It's really not. It's, it's to help the child deal with whatever they're dealing with. Yeah. And to help them sort of navigate in a practical way, their relationship with each parent and also over time, their internal relationship with each parent. Mm. And that's, parent really is narcissistically abusive. And I've said this to parents, over time, your child will come to understand that. And they won't have internalized, like if they've had the right support, if they've had the therapeutic support, they, you have to sort of trust that they won't internalize all of that, but that they will be able to have whatever kind of relationship they're able to with that parent, while as they get older, they'll also be able to see what that parent's limitations were and understand that the failures in that relationship are due to the limitations that the parent had, not to something in the child. Mm-hmm. That takes time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you stressed because you stressed this because I think people think, oh, they're going to just figure it out on their own. And how can I? accept that. But I, I like how you clarified, they might not, but with the right support, then they should be able to figure yes. it out. Because there's all kinds of work that goes into therapy. Yes. Yes. And I think the biggest piece is if their own, again, I keep saying this, but if their own experience is validated, if their reality is validated, then they will be able to hold their reality of, of their interactions and they'll be able to then see it in a real way. If that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I know that you are not taking new clients right now, which is unfortunate because I'm sure people be like, ah, everyone's always looking for a great child therapist and especially a play therapist. But if someone's looking for a therapist, what are some qualities that they you think they might keep an eye out for to help their, their children? Because it's like you never know who you get. Right. I mean, I think ideally you want someone who's had experience working with families with high conflict divorce. Um, and this is my bias, but I would... It's, well, if it's a young child, um, I'm going to say 10 or younger, you want someone, I think, who knows how to do play therapy. 
Um, a lot of kids are not going to come in and just want to talk about what's mm-hmm. going on. Um, I think you want a therapist who's willing to be flexible in how they'll work with the parents. Um, sometimes I find in cases it makes more sense for me to work more intensely with parents. And sometimes it feels like it's important to say, hey, back off for a little while and let us do this for a bit. Um, and it's really depends on, on the, the situation. So I think someone who's got some flexibility maybe and how they work. I don't know. I might just be telling you what my own biases are. Um, no, it's helpful. That That's why you're here. Like, I love getting different perspectives. So and I think you want someone ideally that you feel some sense of comfort with because you are trusting this person to work with your child and the work is private. And so, you know, we're bound by confidentiality. And even with young kids, I, I need to still protect the privacy of their children. So you need to feel like you're comfortable and you trust the therapist because you're going to be sending your kid in there into that office and you're not going to be privy to everything going on in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's really helpful. So um, I'm just, let me just check this out. Okay. You've been on for a while, but so I, I think we've covered pretty much everything. I know there were some other things we were going to talk about. We could always do it again, but uh, Dr. Jill, do you want to tell people what you're up to? Um, Cause I know you have something happening in the city. I do. Um, On October 19th, I'm having a book signing for my second book, um, which is the sequel to my first book. So the books are, the first one is called The The Untold Story of Itsy Bitsy's Long Emotional Day. And it is based on the very familiar Itsy Bitsy character. (laughs) Uh, And it is meant to... um, it's really, it's a children's book, but it's really as much for grownups as it is for kids. It's meant to be read together and not just to facilitate conversations between kids and their grownups about big feelings, but also to kind of model to parents how you can respond when your child has a tantrum, um, mm-hmm. ways to be thinking about what's going on for your child and then help them understand that and to stay calm yourself. And the second book, which is the book that came out in the spring and for which there will be a book signing um, on October 19th, it, um, is called Mom's Rest, the story of its mom. And in this story, it's a sequel and a continuation of the day from the first book. But now Mama has sort of had enough and she has her own meltdown in the story. And so it is to model for kids and grownups how to handle it when parents are the ones who are really stressed out and to help both children and parents understand the perspective of the other one, um, that we all have feelings and we all have to navigate it. But ultimately, it's still the responsibility of the grownups to keep it together to go with your post of the day. Perfect. Um, We have a question. Are they available on Amazon? They are. They are available on Amazon. The title's a little little tricky. If if you look up one, I think the other one pops up right with it. So the untold story of Itsy Bitsy's long emotional day is the first one. And and the second one again is Mama's Stressed. The (laughs) 
story of Itsy Bitsy and Mama. <laughs> I'm sure that um, this is a book that a lot of people who see this will need and find very, very helpful. I should have had, had I have it like right over there. I should have had it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, pe- can people, should people follow you on Instagram? I know you're just, your account is, you know, it's not your super professional yet. It's, but um, can they find it? Because maybe then they can find your books through there yes, too. And, and I will, I'm, I've still been in the process of doing something more on social media with the book, but if they follow my account, there's some stuff about the books. And I will also put, um, I'll put a link to the upcoming book signing and I'll also put um, posts how to get the books. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jill. I'm really glad that Patrice introduced us and I'm sure this is not going to be the last time that we do one. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled that we have met as well. Yeah. It's been fun. And I'll hope to see you in the city in a couple of weeks. Hope so. Be great. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Been There, Got Out podcast. Please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And you can find us easily on all major social media, but especially Instagram and YouTube. If you think we might be able to help you with your own situation, just visit beenthergotout.com and click the button to schedule a complimentary discovery call. Thanks again, and see you next time.